Hello and welcome, and hopefully welcome back to many of the listeners out there. The fading of the Climax Scots fight song means it's time for another episode of Climax the Podcast, Love Letter to a Small Town. As always, I'll be your host. My name's Kevin, a proud 1998 Climax Scots graduate. If you've listened to this podcast, you know what's coming. If you're new, well, we like to get the business done up front. Climax the Podcast is a free-to-listen-to show, but it is not a free show to produce. It is fan-supported and listener-supported. If you are able to, there's no guilt trip here. If you want to and can support the show, there's a few ways you can do that at our link tree. Our link tree has all the ways you can listen to and subscribe to the show, and that is free. There's a couple ways to do things like buy t-shirts that support the show or make a donation. As always, there's no pressure with that. There's no obligation. A few people, when I first started the show, said they wanted to help out to get it off the ground and help get it running and keep it going. So, this is what we've set up. You'll also find links to the Climax the Podcast YouTube channel, and that is just full of gems from Climax history from my own archives and those of the Prairie Historical Society. You can click the link tree. It's posted on all the social media. It should be in the description of the feed of the show you're listening to right now. Or you can go to l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash Climax the Podcast. That's linktr dot e-e slash Climax the Podcast. Now, also on that link tree, there's links to our social media. There's the Facebook page, Climax the Podcast. And feel free to add me on any social media, too. Instagram, I'm Kevin from Climax. Twitter, there's Climax Michigan Podcast, but that's abbreviated. That's Climax MI Podcast on Twitter. I'll tell you, I don't use the Twitter much. I'm not the biggest fan of the Twitter. Also, that link tree has all the social media. There's some for the show. And if you want to add me as a friend or follow me, I don't, I don't care. I'd honestly prefer it. Feel free. Reach out. Add me as a friend. Follow me. Do whatever you want. I love connecting with people from the Climax Scots community. And we want to give a little weekly love to our first sponsor, Kristen Wachowski from State Farm. Kristen's office is on 20th Street, across the street from Ollie's and the Cherrydale Office Plaza, directly behind Chicago Title in Battle Creek, Michigan. You can give her a call, 269-968-5130, or visit her website, call Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, dot com. If you have any needs for insurance, life insurance, business insurance, renter's insurance, condo insurance, homeowner's insurance, auto insurance, I implicitly trust my old high school pal, Kristen. Give her a call or get in contact through the website. She'll ensure that you are insured. Stay tuned to this podcast and our social media feeds for more announcements coming soon. But what I can tell you for right now, it was announced last week. Founders Day weekend, Sunday the 28th, we're going to do Climax Tonight, a live rendition of Climax the podcast. There's going to be special guests, special musical guests, a whole lot of fun added to Founders Day weekend. More on that to come real soon. Now that the business is done, let's talk about this show. Last week, huzzah for the shopkeep with Mark Sinclair. I think it's actually been our most popular episode yet. I don't have all the stats and figures. The Sinclair name just means so much to the Climax community, from the grocery store, to the schools, to the church, and just the community overall. So happy to see so many people who have enjoyed hearing the tales of the Sinclair family. Now another name that means a lot and has a lot of history in the Climax Scots community is Vosberg. And I'll tell you what, I can't really cue up any of these stories better than the woman who lived them. From the archives of Prairie Historical Society, I hope everyone enjoys this recording of a conversation between Genevieve Sinclair and Neva Vosberg 
This is Season 1, Episode 4, Neva Vosberg's Story, as told by Neva Vosberg. Let's go to the archives. These are the experiences of Neva Vosberg, Mrs. Merle Vosberg, taped by Genevieve Sinclair for the Prairie Historical Society on June 5th, 1985. I was born May the 10th, 1906, on a farm in Charleston Township, uh, Lonsbury Farm, Centennial Farm. (laughs) My grandmother, Betts, my mother's mother was there, and she said I was Morning, just as the sun come up uh, that morning, the bedroom was uh, an east room, so they could see that. So the Lonsbury Farm is a farm now owned by Jan and Tim Vosberg, and um, he's out my uh, the John B. Ives lived uh, on the uh, west side of the road, and. Uh, when their home burned, they moved across the road with the Lonsberries on the east side. That's the old territorial road from Climax to Battle Creek. And uh, so then the Lonsberries built on a wing, east wing on the home, so it would be large enough for John B. I and his wife Margaret and her sister Maggie, who was uh, uh, a cripple. She was in a wheelchair from arthritis. I'm going to stop it again. His father died when he was a small boy, and so he lived with uh, his grandparents uh, here in the Lonsbury home. And um, I'm going to stop again. That's okay. Uh, my dad's uh, mother, Mary Beale, is also because Mary Hall Beals uh, lived there part of the time, too. And so this on down through was my family. It all makes a complete uh, centennial farm. Generations living all the way through, down through. And um, well, I lost how it all came about. Uh, he married uh, Ellen Betts. Her name was Laura Ellen Betts. And, uh, they, he, they still kept on living there. Back lived there and took care of the grandparents as, as long as they lived, which was a number of years, quite a few years really. And uh, the home there had been used for uh, uh, many family gatherings. In 1910, E.J. Lonsbury uh, celebrated their golden wedding anniversary there, and. Uh, before that, in the latter part of the, around the turn of the century, uh, the weddings and funerals and such were in the homes, so different than, than, than now. In fact, Grandma uh, uh, Beals and Aunt Valor's sister, they were married there. And when um, Grandpa and Grandma I died, their funerals were there, and then Grandma I, Lonsbury had sisters, Pearlie and um, 
Margaret, and when Curly died, her funeral was there too. Also, my dad's father, Charles Hall, his funeral was there. And nowadays, of course, there was any. Now, no funeral home. Okay. Um, Margaret, uh, I they called her Maggie. Uh, she passed away on uh, Sunday uh, in uh, May. And uh, the next Sunday, I was born the 10th of May, so she didn't live long enough to see what would be great, great, great niece or whatever it was, well, just two greats, I guess. So. And uh, these times, uh, uh, each member of the family, they had their horse and their buggy, and uh, my Grandpa Lasbury's horse was old John. He was a... Uh, dark-colored horse. I don't know they called him Dave, but anyway, he's darker. And my dad's horse was a little fan, Fanny, and uh, she was white horse. So and when they went places, my sister tells about, I don't remember about Grandpa's horse. He was, uh, went somewhere with it or left the horse and buggy or something. The horse ran away with the buggy and smashed it. <laughs> so, now oh, here we go. Um, my family, they had... Uh, Four girls and a boy, of course the boy was the youngest, and so my sister that was 16 months younger and I, and we were the oldest, and we were the boys in the family, and we, we did farm work just like, like boys, pitched manure, and uh, horses, uh, we had, my dad raised colts, and of course we liked those teams with the colts in because they went faster, and we always chose the colts to drive, and mowing, raking hay, and cutting hay, of course we don't hear Eight tethers anymore, but they used to have eight tethers to stir it up and dry it out. And we harness our own, harness the horses and uh, clean out the stables. Uh, our, my grandfather, uh, grandmother's husband, Fred Beals, um, he was a great joker anyway, and he tells about he coming down the road and he see those hall girls. The sun going under a cloud and those hall girls was pitching manure. <laughs> and in the summertime, uh, uh, you, you had a binder to cut the green and shock it. And we girls could shock green too. And uh, then the uh, threshing machines would come. And sometimes they'd thresh out of the field if they didn't come soon enough and we'd have to... Uh, load the, carry the green uh, bundles into the barn and uh, trash it out of the barn and uh, if they took it in the barn well then we, my sister and I we'd have to place those bundles they'd throw them up in the barn there we'd be in, place them just so tear and tear across the uh, barn we just hated the job and Grandpa Fred Beals he often helped draw these and as I say he was kind of a character and he howled up well you girls think you like it in Michigan and of course we were so disgruntled having to place those bundles there in the in the mow in the in the barn it wasn't a very pleasant job of course each uh, family planted a plot of potatoes for their winter use and that was a back-breaking job to... The men would dig them and shake them out, and then you'd have to 
pick those potatoes up and uh, put them in the bin in the cellar so we had potatoes for all winter. And I always got apples and then they uh, wrapped those in paper and put them in a barrel. And I always had a jar, big um, 30 gallon jar I guess it was that you make salt pork in. Um, my dad always, uh, the hams and shoulders and bacon, he always used a salt uh, sugar cure, so uh, he always rubbed that in, but some people in the Bosworth family, well, they had a brine, they used to put them in brine, and you take them out and get them smoked, and uh, you always put your two or three hogs, and I always remember on butchering day, the uh, killing the hogs, and how we'd run and get it so we wouldn't hear that. And stringing them up and, and cleaning them, what a job that was. And then there's all that lard to cut up. We didn't like that job very well either. And, but the, the meat tasted pretty good to have. And most generally you butchered, uh, well, if you had a milk cow that was getting old or something or other. My dad, he always fed them corn meal to fatten them because their teeth weren't good enough to fatten them otherwise, so we always had some... <laughs> good beef, and, and we always canned a lot of it then, and was that ever good. But it's so much work, we never do that anymore. It's just frozen, of course. So. And for, we didn't live too far from the school, so uh, we actually walked to school. One room with eight grades, and usually the teacher had every grade, so you can imagine how short the classes all were to all our classes in, in, a, in a day, and uh, stoves to heat them with. And then when you went out in the recess or noon to play, while well, you played pom-pom pull-away, and usually uh, anti-eye over the woodshed with the ball running around. Those are the two things I remember. I mean, only used to have uh, ball teams, too. Uh, I remember playing a t team west of Woods Lake. I can't remember, I don't recall the name of the school. It might have been Murray. So, and, uh, I always had good times. I'd, uh, and you used to have box socials. And, and, uh, wondered who's going to buy your box. My uh, mother was a good cook, and we always had good meals, and of course at those times you had cream and good things to make things out of, and it really made a difference. In the summertime, our neighbors, uh, the Adams and the Hoaglands, always raised strawberries, so my sister, Lola, and I uh, always picked strawberries in the summer. That's where we got a little extra spending money to get something special, well, picking strawberries. The uh, uh, price I remember was 50 cents a crate, is what we got for it. Pretty hard work, but anyway, we was glad to do it to get some extra cash. And then uh, we'd go home and my mother would have strawberry shortcake. She always made a biscuit sort of dough and a round cake tin, and there was that big shortcake. My, how good it tasted. So, uh, and all, each family, especially our neighborhood, well, even when I, after I was married, we did too on the farm have a flock of chickens. So you had your own 
chickens for meat and eggs, and, um, and then we were dairy farmers when I was a girl and also when we farmed it, so we had milk. So uh, so with the garden stuff, you, you lived good. Maybe it wasn't what folks nowadays would like, but you had good, plain food. It was good for you. Also in the summer, the, or we had woods on our place, so there was a lot of berry bushes, and we picked wild raspberries and uh, also blackberries. But uh, the raspberries, and my mother would make a raspberry shortcake, which is delicious. It's really rich in strawberry shortcake, and so that was real good. A lot of work there was good. And uh, we went to country school for the first seven grades, and then the eighth grade by uh, and it was nice to go to climax to school, so we came up here to eighth grade. And uh, in the fall, I we drove a horse and buggy, old Molly, uh, to school and put it in Riley's barn in the east part of climax. And, and she was so afraid of trains. Of course, we had to cross the railroad track. We just prayed every morning there wouldn't be a train there when we got there. I don't. Lola said one morning there was, and she took us around through the <laughs> side of the road. But I don't remember that. Am I still off? <laughs> so, uh, but then uh, when you was 14 years old, then you could get a license to drive a car. So uh, uh, in the winter time, that winter, we stayed with her, my grandma Beals, who lived here in Climax. And then uh, when I was 14, my driver's license, so then we drove our little Dodge touring car to, after that, so that was quite an experience driving the horse and taking her down on harness and putting the barn go to school. <laughs> In high school, Bert Harrison was our superintendent, and I believe it was our freshman year, one of the teachers, he was an older gentleman, a kind of meat fellow, and uh, the classes, some of our classes we had across the street in the library because there wasn't enough room in the high school, in the school building, and uh, he couldn't control the boys at all, and the boys sure give him a hard time. The things uh, they would play on him, especially going across the street there at the library. So, and we uh, had basketball teams. Uh, the girls uh, and boys both. Uh, in fact, the year that uh, we're, we're seniors, by the boys and girls both from the uh, county uh, championship. It was then they had, it was just of, of the county and the different schools in the county. But it was uh, even when my husband, I, I don't remember when they began, whether it started when we were freshmen, which it probably did, but remember playing ball, and uh, my husband, he graduated in 23, uh, they, they played in the uh, Masonic Hall here in Climax, which was a, has a small lower floor, and they'd have to go down and build a fire in the stove and warm up the place, then just before the game, they'd have to wheel that stove out, because that was on the playing floor, and play the basketball game, and just a little bit in the front was all space you had for visitors. So, different deal than now when they 
Big Jim up here and had that filled up for some of their good games. They realized the difference it makes. But then it went on until later on when my oldest son graduated uh, in 48. Um, they didn't, weren't playing basketball then. He never got to play basketball at all. That was second boy, why he never had any basketball, but they played on uh, Scots, Union Hall or Scots. Jan and Ellen, well, they played over there too, but I think they got in on the gym was built up or something. I can't remember, but uh, I don't know if they played basketball. So. Different setup than we have for basketball nowadays. When I was in high school, I don't remember what grade it was. Uh, they were still having back socials in the school, and uh, I believe maybe it was our class, I won't say for sure. They had a box social, and the girls put up a sheet, and you stood behind the sheet and uh, sold your, told your shoe uh, for, uh, to buy the box. And you pay, that's what payment. And the shoe you bought by or told was a, I'd say it was a one week or meal. When I went into high school, I went in with the intention of being valedictorian. I don't think probably there's too many to do that, but I did. And uh, so you had to carry four subjects, and uh, but um, we carried, uh, part of us carried five. Uh, one would be your math for one thing, and, and then if you carried five subjects, then you took Latin. And uh, so... I don't remember how many credits I graduated with, and I don't remember how many you had to have, but I think every year I took an extra subject just to uh, want to get more credit or something. I don't know when it gets up to graduation. I can't remember right now how that did turn out. But And I was valedictorian, which I was very proud of. And, and Merle was uh, salutatorian of his class, too. And then one goes on, and um, Jan was valedictorian of his class. That's my youngest son. So, but uh, my oldest son, he went to school. To, he could have got better grades, but he went. He was having a good time too. <laughs> That's what he said anyway. <laughs> so, and Ella May, oh, Ella May was valedictorian too. I mustn't forget that. So, but if you. Wanna, unless you aren't usually smart, you've got to, you make sacrifices. When you go in, you've got to go in. You can't goof off a year or two and expect to get up there. So uh, if you really want to do something, you better make up your mind when you start. But you don't have to be valedictorian just if you make the most of your high school. That's what's necessary. So. In uh, 11th grade, by the juniors always had a, we had a junior-senior prom, and the juniors uh, entertained the seniors, and we entertained the class down to Post Tavern, and uh, we had a meal, and uh, each uh, one wrote a paper. I remember I had the class poem, and I don't remember what all the others were, was they had a class history, one thing, you know, the class um, tells what the future is. I forget what you call that. So 
that was what we did for our entertainment as seniors at the University of No dancing, as far as I know, no dancing in the school until later years. I, uh, I think probably not, not until this last building because I, I wouldn't have been a place for it and they just didn't have dances or anything like that. So, our class was uh, composed of seven girls and seven boys, the largest class to graduate up to that time. Uh, my sister and I were in the class, and also uh, Dora and Gordon, uh, elder brother and sister, were in the same class. Otherwise, it was all single from a family. Uh, I'll better say Merle Valspring uh, and I were headed, married in March of um, before I graduated and uh, well then that summer I worked at um, Kellogg's in Battle Creek. My aunt and mother's aunt worked nights at Kellogg's and I stayed there and worked nights on the same shift that she did in the packing department. That was the uh, only time I ever worked out like that. We lived with, uh, well, we stayed uh, for a short time. My folks then we lived with the uh, Merle's folks up in the big brick house on the roof barn. And uh, Merle went to work for um, Frank L. Wilson and the hardware where he worked for quite a few years, and stuff like that took quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And we lived in a tenant house on the roof farm where Merle's folks were found at a mile north of Climax. And then they hired um, a hired man, and we were living in the tenant house, so uh, we moved uptown in the hired man's house, and the hired man uh, lived in our tenant house. And so uh, right up here. we lived there for a few years, and uh, then we uh, moved down uh, on my uh, folks' farm. We went to Battle Creek, and uh, we were there for a couple of years. Uh, Alan was born there in February the 2nd, 1932. And then on the spring of March 1st of 33, we moved south of Climax on uh, Willison Farm, uh, Charles Wilson Farm. In fact, there was uh, Mrs. Charles Wilson's home called uh, Eldridge. She was Stella Eldridge. And we were there for until March. I mean, uh, November the 7th, 1947, we moved back to, uh, on the R farm, uh, the Lonsbury farm. And we were there until um, Labor Day of 1970, and we moved to uh, Climax in uh, Beale's home, and that was my great grandmother's, which 
has been in the family since we had the deed for it for 1881, March 1881. And that's where I'm still living. It's a very nice place for an older person. Small home, next to the post office, across from the main. So <laughs> oh, I really like it here. This May the 10th. This May the 10th. I was 79 years old. And, uh, I with arthritis and a bad heart, but I'm still going strong. <laughs> I guess. I guess I'm Three uh, gentlemen have always meant a lot to our family, and uh, remember Ernest Burnham, especially the uh, the Burnham boys. And uh, Ernest used to come out this way more. And, and uh, Philip, the middle one, he stayed in the West, so I don't know remember him at all. But then Smith and Ernest both taught at Western, and, and they were born and raised over at Burnham Lake in uh, Charleston Township. And uh, Ernest never was married. Uh, Philip was, but I uh, don't know about his family. And Smith was married, and they had one daughter, uh, Dr. Margaret Burnham McMillan. Uh, and she taught at Western, too. Uh, she lived to a good old age of 80 years. So. But they uh, were good educators and everything, uh, people that should be remembered. <coughs> when we were quite small, <coughs> we used to like to come up to Grandma Beals's to, um, uh, she would go to the dances they held over the hardware. Well, they've had dances there for many years as a good dance floor up there. And we'd love to go and watch people and tickled us to see her dancing with uh, Mr. McElvain and so forth. We thought that was quite a joke. And she could waltz very good. We just used to love to see her waltzing around up there on the dance floor. Okay, okay. Some of the uh, older people I remember real well was. Herbert, Hubert, and Mrs. Elwell. I don't recall her first name right now. And she had the Baptist cradle roll. She was such a sweet person. Also remember Aunt Nella Fever and uh, her sister, Mrs. Fred Riley. Uh, also um, Mrs. Delilah Purse. She's Vernella, Miss Vernella Harrison's mother. And she was another sweet person. Think a lot of. Also from uh, Charleston Township, where I we lived, was a Brown family, and their one son was Jim H or J H Brown, as he was known, and he got to be quite a known person. He was on the editorial staff of the Michigan Farmer, and for I think it was 25 years, and much credit goes to him for getting the first RFD at Climax, also in 1917, getting the monument. And I've got the articles tells that somewhere. Uh, he also was a photographer, so and he, he conducted 
farm tours and things like that. So I did want to mention him because he was a person who deserves to be known about. Well, the Maccabee Lodge was uh, started here in this vicinity uh, March the 15th, 1896. And my grandma Beals belonged to that. And the first meetings they, they had them over the restaurant, the McElveen Rest Restaurant. That's I guess that. Uh, I want to mention, while I'm speaking about grandma Beals, uh, Five generations we had in 1948. Um, uh, Grandma Beals was 87, and my dad was 70, and I was 43, and Kenneth was 23, and Susan was um, one year. So, <laughs> my oldest uh, was a boy. He was born January the 7th, 1926. Kenneth Edwin. Edwin was a Vosburgh name. And the second son, Alan Elijah, was born February the 2nd, 1932. And Elijah was named for my great-grandfather, Elijah Lonsbury, that we thought so much of. And also a family name. My dad's middle name is Elijah, too. And uh, the third boy was born April 14, 1935, Jan Merle. And Third was our girl, born April 11, 1937, Ellen May, and she was named after my mo my mother's name was Laura Ellen, and uh, my husband's sister's name was um, Ellen, and um, my name was middle name was May, and Mother Bosbrick's middle name was May, so she had <laughs> named that. that this I have I have. Uh, 20 grandchildren and 20 great-grandchildren. And besides, I have some steps and I didn't bother. I forget, I keep talking. <laughs> I might shut it off. I've been a 4-H leader for 40 years now and an extension the same number of years. And at first, uh, when uh, my families were Baptists and I, our names were put on the Baptist cradle roll and we went to Baptist Sunday School. But then later in years we changed to the Methodists and my husband and I belonged to Methodist Church as well as some of my children and grandchildren. Um, I guess I'll have to take it to you. Um, in the Eid building, uh, it means quite a lot to us because um, owners of the Eid building for many years was our great-great-grandparents, John B. and Margaret Eid. And they came from, uh, they were early pioneers here, coming from Tro East Troy, New York. In the cemetery up here, the Eids are all buried up there. And then the next generation of Lonsbury's are, and the next generation, of two generation halls, uh, Mary Hall and Mary Hall, uh, buried up there. 
And of course, my husband's buried up there, and I have a sister buried up there. And then my son, Alan, has two babies buried up there, so there's six generations uh, in the cemetery and, and beginning of the Ides. My dad uh, had a Ford Touring car in 1915, and after that, a uh, Dodge Touring. And it was, uh, it had Isinglass curtains that you had to put on when you wanted to close a car up or anything. <laughs> Otherwise, it was an open car. And so there's been many changes. Uh, I was a girl with, with farming with horses and later changed to tractors and now on the old homestead is a modern pig and beef operation. And so it makes so many changes in our lives and during the world in my lifetime. Especially when you think about nuclear war now. And husband Des and our family, my mother, Laura Ellen, passed away in October 1931, she was 51, and uh, my son Alan was born the next uh, February, and I had a sister, my youngest sister, Myrna Bell, was such a nice person, and she passed away July 29, 1946, which is 28 years old. Going on to a later date, my husband passed away July 4th in 70, 74, and my daughter's husband July 13th in 1978. Uh, we've had our share of uh, deaths. Uh, Sundays was uh, always a big day, and on the farm especially, it seemed like we had uh, people like to come to the farms, and they'd come to it chicken dinner, because on Sundays, so many people had chicken dinners at that time, that was supposed to be a big treat to have a chicken dinner, and uh, then when we were girls at home, I, we knew some girls from Battle Creek, so it seemed like uh, they always liked to come out from, to the farm and, and ride our workhorses and do different things that they didn't have any see in, in town, let's say, like also uh, had reunions we attended, uh, the Lonsbury family, the Betts family, and the Castle family all had reunions, so every year in the summer there would be several reunions you would attend. So, let's just shut up. We lived uh, near Fort Custer, and World War One, uh, so many soldiers passed away with the epidemic of the flu, and we could hear the had firing range, and we could hear the shells exploding, and even picked up some shells on the edge of our land uh, that close. And when the war ended, we all ran out and ran bells and and had a big time because the uh, war was over. Uh, in the World War One, my uh, mother's brother 
was in the service and he went to London and that's as far as he got when World War One ended. Then in World War Two, my brother was in the Air Force and he was, was a gunner and he flew uh, many missions over Italy. seemed like there was much more snow than there is now. Of course, the roads were plugged by, they were never, they were left that way and got in the sleighs and went through the fields or wherever you could go uh, to get through. And if you were selling milk, well, you had to get the milk out to the main road to be taken. And uh, you went on the sleighs. I can remember going to Grandma Betsy's for uh, Thanksgiving on the sleighs, and uh, we had soapstones that we would heat and, and put them under blankets and keep us warm until we got wherever we were going. So, okay. Well, um, and after the Civil War, 1865, was when uh, John B. Iden was my, my oldest boy. Uh, Kenneth had three children, Susan, Gary, and Dennis, and the second boy, Alan, had seven children, Alan, Robin, Nancy, James, Sam, Jerry, and Paul, and uh, the youngest boy, Jan, had six children, Laura, Tim, Eileen, Greg, Andy, and Doug, and my daughter, Ellen, our daughter, Ellen May, had four, two boys and two girls, Renee and Kathy, and Eric and Ed. Edwin, I should say, that's boys. Oh, uh, and she was married to Don uh, Hiscott, and he uh, was sick with a Dupus disease for several years and passed away in 1978, just uh, 45 years old. It's very sad. He was such a good father and they were such a nice family and thought so much of each other. And the uh, youngest boy, Jan, he is a uh, a very good farmer, and they have the old homestead and have a modern beef and pig operation on the farm. And with his family of six children, they're a very busy family, too. He is a very good farmer and has won many honors for his. Uh, even built in, in farming. In the family home, my dad had built on an extra room on the back of the house, and he had a gas engine and uh, had a motor shaft to run to the well house and used that to pump water and my mother, run my mother's wash machine and uh, the churn or whatever other things they could add and run to that motor shaft. Tell you what I was going to say first. Uh, 
through the generations down, my family have been highly respected citizens of the humanity, and of course we've tried to keep on to be good citizens and such. So, so with the good help of Merle and our family, we've been able to carry on down through, as it has been down through the years, and as highly respect, trying to be highly respected citizens. Uh, over the years, we've had very many good neighbors and many very good friends too, which we're thankful for. Later years after Merle's death and July 4, 74, it's made a different life for me. And it's been so nice that we had this home here in Climax. It's made a good place. So handy for my family to visit and help out. And my family's. Uh, Sure, have been so helpful and so good to me. But done without them. It's nice to have children. I, Eva May Hall Bosford, appreciate this opportunity to make this recording of my life experiences on June the sixth, nineteen eighty-five. Well, I think just about everyone was going to learn something from that story, those stories from the woman who lived them herself, Neva Vosberg. And that's more or less bringing this episode to a close. A couple things I want to throw out there. I'm going to be in town Wednesday, Thursday, and most of Friday. And you know what? You're probably going to see me around town. Say hi. I'd love to see some folks. And minor spoilers, I am in town almost exclusively for podcast-related reasons. Couple interviews set up, couple folks I'm going to see. Got some more good stuff coming up here in Season 1. Something else that's going to come out probably within the next day or two, going to do a mini-sode. Not quite a full episode, but what in my opinion is just a very funny, very heartwarming story about the late Lois Joslin. We shared last week on the podcast, Lois Joslin, longtime administrative assistant for Climax Scott's Community Schools, passed away. Have a little story I want to share called Mrs. J Saves the Day. And I'm doing my best to line up a phone call with my cousin Suzanne Wiesis. I really want her help in telling the story because it's one of those stories that <laughs> it's just so uh, it's endearing. It's ridiculous. It, it's just an unapologetically climax story that any combination of people outside of me, my cousin Suzanne, and Lois Joslin this would have gone a very, very different way. That's all I'm going to share for now. I think everyone's going to enjoy this story as we're all fondly remembering and mourning the loss of Lois Joslin. As always, I ask that you like the show, subscribe, review, share it. The more you share, the more you share your thoughts on it, the more eyes we can get on our social media, and the more ears we can get on this podcast. I'll be back next week with even more good stuff. 
because that's what we do here. It's nothing but good stuff on Climax the Podcast, Love Letter to a Small Town. I'll talk to you all real soon.